Putin Bradvast. Hello, hello, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I hear you perfectly well. How are you doing? How- Ah, uh, I'm I'm kind of been hit by the by the coronavirus blues, staying at home all day. And this morning it actually snowed outside here in Hamburg, which is fucking ridiculous. It so, is, since it's raining here in Quebec, so it should be the opposite, right? Yeah, it's it should be spring, but on the other <laughs> side, uh, I'm I'm not that I'm not too sad that the weather is is not uh, not that great because if it were great, I I'd be more even more upset about not being able to go outside. Right, right, right. But it's good to talk to you. It's good to have somebody to talk with. Uh, and uh, especially now today that uh, once again, we have a special guest with us today. Marcus. A very special guest. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, um, hey, so um, I wanted to give you a short introduction first. Um, so um, go ahead. Thank you. Um, so we're talking to actually my oldest friend um, in terms of how long we've been friends. We've been friends, I think, since eighth grade. And um um it's marcus he is um and he's today he's here um in a special service because um marcus knows a thing or two about um medicine and about uh, virology one thing yes one thing so you're you're actually doing your doctor's degree right now aren't you yeah i'm doing my doctor's my phd thesis um at the institute of virology in erlangen in, in Germany. So it's the city close to Nuremberg, like people maybe know Nuremberg. Yeah, I think, you, Philip, you've been there, right? We've been yeah, to yeah. Bar in there. What a, what a, it's a great city, but such a heavy, such a heavy place, you know? The, yeah, are you talking about Nuremberg or Erlangen? Nuremberg. Nuremberg, okay. Yeah, I, I just, I like the, the, the museum we visited was a, like a dungeon for torture. I was like, wow, that's a, <laughs> such a jolly place. You're, you're, you're talking about my parents' basement, aren't you? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we also had a lot of witch hunts, I think. Yeah. Like our region is really strong or was really strong in witch hunts. Now, um, Marcus, um, maybe you, you could give our, our listeners um, some more content on what you're actually doing. So um, what is the, the topic of your um, of your PhD? Um, what did you study before that? And um, well, what are you doing every day for your um, for your thesis right now? Yeah, okay, sure. Um, so I studied molecular medicine, which is very close to like real medicine, but more laboratory focused and not focused on patients at all. So I'm not working with any patients. I can't really see blood, either my own or like anyone else's. I hate blood. And yeah. like I did my master's thesis in that last year also at this institute where I'm working at right now. And so now I've stayed for the PhD, which will be about three to four years. And I'm doing this, I have nothing to do with coronavirus at all. And we're working with human cytomegalovirus. Like has what any one of you guys ever heard of that? Philippe, do you know cytomegalovirus? I don't think I do now. Uh, yeah, isn't it one of the Decepticons in <laughs> Transformers? <laughs> I mean, the name's pretty great. No, no one knows it because it's like not a really dangerous virus. Almost everyone has it, or at least it depends on like socioeconomic status. But at least fifty percent of people in like Europe have it, and it causes no complications for normal, healthy people. And it's only important or dangerous for the immunocompromised. And for newborns, it's actually quite a problem when transmitted from the pregnant woman to their unborn child. So then it can cause 
like deafness and mental retardation, and it's really dangerous in that. Yeah. So I have a question for you regarding viruses. Uh, I was watching an interview uh, yesterday uh, with one of my favorite uh, stand-up comic in Quebec, who used to be a biologist, and he said there's a big debate whether virus are living, living being part of the living world or not. What is your take on it? Are they like uh, part of the living life or not? I've actually talked or tried to explain it to my father like a few weeks ago. And I thought the general consensus was that viruses are not living. And I think that's my opinion, too. Like, they're not living because they they can't propagate without hijacking cells, without mm-hmm. other organisms. Mm-hmm. They have no uh, metabolism, of, like, at all. They don't eat or they, they, they don't consume anything. They're just, basically, they're just particles with DNA or RNA. So just with a genome. So even once they hijacked uh, um, a cell, uh, they're still not considered as living beings? Not really. I mean, they go to the cell and they insert their genome and the cell is hijacked to replicate that genome Mm -hmm. and do it for the virus. But like that doesn't make the virus a living being, I'd say. It just replicates and then the cell releases like hundreds of new viral particles. But... There's no real metabolism involved. I know it's, it might sound like a silly question, uh, but I have yeah. another one, if you, if you don't mind. I, I mean, I've done science until what we call CEGEP here, which is what we do before university, but I, I don't know much about viruses. So I think I'm asking a question for everybody who's as stupid as me. What Including are, me. What is the role of viruses in this world? Uh, are, they part of some, are, they, are they part of the carbon cycle, the nitrate cycle? What, what are their, their use, general views in the world right now? General use? Yeah, I mean, like, what are what do they uh, what do they contribute to? Like, why are they so prevalent? And are they part of some cycle? Or just um, it might be too much of a wide question. I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's the, the problem with the uh, basis of that because they don't have any use. Like, no, I'd say no animal or no living being, even though they don't live, has a use. It's just that. Like they are successful in replicating. Right. And they always have been. And then evolution is just like, okay, if you're good at replicating, then you do that and you have a place in the world. Whether you benefit anyone or anything, doesn't matter. Right. Like, what, what, is, a, what is the use of human? Probably nothing either with, when you yeah, think about it. Most said. Destroying, <laughs> our, destroying our earth. Right. It's the, same, it's the same thing, just at a bigger level. I get that. But are they, are, are they part of the carbon cycle? Are they nitrate cycle? Are they any of that? I don't, I'm not really sure what you mean by that. Maybe I'm just, I, I think I'm just poorly translating from French, so let's forget about this. <laughs> uh, I, mean, basically, I don't know really... the English uh, words for that. I'm just live translating, and I, I think it's not working out too much right now. <laughs> no, no, I don't really get it. But like you can imagine there are like different viruses, of course, and some are bigger and some are smaller, but the simplest virus is really just a genome, so just DNA, mm-hmm. like ours. Basically, and then um, like a capsid or a, a membrane around that, and this membrane sometimes even comes from the cell. So the virus basically steals, just takes a, like a little part of the cell with it when it leaves the cell. So it's it's basically just DNA. It's nothing else. Right. And what what makes a virus corona? Like what what makes it a, a corona? <laughs> it's it's, it's around it. I get it. But what what's so special about it? I don't think there's anything special about it. It's just a family of viruses. Okay, that's so it. Just, 
They're not more potent. Or um, if I if I if I might might uh, be able to step in here, we we wanted to in the we, we're gonna go a little deeper into the coronavirus thing uh, just a mo in a minute. A minute. I just wanted to give the um, listeners um, a little more context on on Marcus' side um, before we get into all the dirty details about viruses. <laughs> I was just nerding out. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I, I know. But you, you you kind of lost me in that in that thing. Um, I, so, um, did you know that Marcus actually lived in Toronto before? Yeah. You told me that. So, um, and I just, I just, uh, listened to the last, to your last episode and you talked with Ronan about how you met at the university of Toronto. And I'm like, Oh cool. You've been to Toronto. I, I was too. Yeah. I lived there for two years. Oh, that's great. I've only been there for like three and a half months. How, how did you like it? I liked it a lot. I love the city. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, it's only, it only was three months, but I really loved it there. Can I get so great? Can I ask what part of the city you were in? Uh, I was living like really downtown, close to Queen or, or like next to Queens. Uh, what's it called? Avenue Queens. Yeah. Que 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 yeah, it's a street. Yeah, that was. Uh, I was yeah, living in Chinatown, yeah. so maybe you know, but yeah. area. Yeah, I was pretty. I was. I was um, running through Chinatown. Many time. Okay, okay, cool. Away, away from from bad eating Chinese people. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was never eating there. I think I, I like I ate uh, Korean with the working colleagues there once. Well, the, 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 there's a Korea town also at uh, I think it's Christie Station. I don't know if that rings a bell or not. Yeah. But, uh, I, think I was living near next to St. Patrick Station. I don't know if you know that area at all, but. Uh, I don't know if you know subway stations of, of, of Toronto, but uh, yeah, it's uh, so. Do you do you think the city has a strong personality? I always find it's something lacking in the city. Well, maybe if you compare it with other Canadian cities, but it was like the first really big major city I was living in mm -hmm. because I'm like Simon. I'm from a really, I'd say, rural, small, like country-like yeah uh, region. I I'd agree. And, yeah. And just living like downtown between all these skyscrapers mm. and w working on the 16th floor of a building with a view that was just completely new for me. And also what I really, really loved about Toronto was how international it is. Right. Like basically everyone you talk to has like some background. They, their parents came from another country or they themselves came from another country. It's so cool. So great. It's, uh, it's, it's one of the cities uh, where there's no visible majority, basically. Yeah. I think I was surprised by how many like Asian-looking people were there, but I wouldn't say they're a majority, right? No, uh, no, I don't think so. No, it's a, it's very diverse city, as you say, and uh, I know it it might sound silly, but but for food, it's insane. Like, you can get basically any type of food you want uh, on any given day, right? I'm not really that much of a foodie person, I'm afraid. <laughs> so that's not not one of the sides of Toronto I, ex I explored. I see, I see. Yeah, it's actually, um, Marcus and I have been traveling before and uh, we've, we actually went to, we did a quite a big Japan trip, my biggest Japan trip so far I did with Marcus. Uh, I think it was in 2017. And um, and so we traveled all um, around the whole country and uh, and you could see that uh, there's a different, Marcus is, is the kind of traveler where um, who, who really is hunting down sites and uh, Really wants to yeah. see the big things. Wants to um, to go to museums and all that kind of stuff. Everything cultural and anything culture, correct. And I am more of the food guy. Like um, 
this is why one big reason why why I uh, if I uh, or when I visit you, Philip, I have to see Toronto. It's just because I need to eat all that food. It's I'm, yeah. I'm so much into food. Like I think it's a big part of traveling is is actually eating in the place. Yeah. Well, did, did you feel that Toronto was a cultural city to you, Marcus? No, I was just about to say like instead of trying out dozens of different places to eat. I spent entire days at the Royal Ontario Museum. Okay. Okay. It's like, I, I don't know, is it the biggest? It's certainly the biggest museum in Toronto, but maybe it's even... Oh, it's massive. Canada, sure. it's, it's massive. It's right next it's to my university. Canada. So I've been there. You know, they, they used to do like parties there. You could, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, once a month, like they would transform the the whole museum into kind of a bar-ish thing and the whole the whole entrance would become like a dance floor and all around the museum they would have like bars uh so you could like oh. buy booze and then just walk around look at the at the expositions uh with a gin and tonic in your amazing. hand it's pretty nice that's amazing yeah i, I miss that i even became i even uh, like enlisted as a as a member you know i had the, the membership card because i was like well i'm going to go there at least three or four times during my few months there so i might as well do that and like go there for free all the day time hmm. but i never got a message about that but that sounds really really cool and also very canadian because i don't think you could do that in any other country like if you did that in the us people would just start i don't know pissing in corners or <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it was it was pretty like high class i would say like it's not people were dressed fine it was not like a it wasn't like a fraternity party you know what i'm saying it was more like a people were dressed very finely it was very like a classy i've been once uh it was fun it was fun it was one of the nicest thing i've done in toronto for sure um yeah but other, other countries would turn it into a like sort of fraternity like party and puke everywhere <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe people could hijack the party as yeah, true but uh so have you have you visited other uh, cities uh, at all during your stay well, yes i did i went to montreal for like one night so basically two days mm -hmm. and i also saw like when my time in the laboratory when i was actually finished with my project over there then when that was done my family flew over to visit me and we rented a um motorhome like a mobile camper mm -hmm. and we also drove up to ottawa and uh, quebec city yeah but wow. we only saw those for like half a day each so not really we didn't really get the experience cool cool uh so i'm from quebec city so did you like it from what you i mean you were not there for a long time but uh i like quebec city yeah it was i remember it was really uh rainy and gray uh, the day we were there that's unfortunate but yes but I really like the um, the boardwalk. Okay, cool. You know, like that had a really a nice 20th century flair to it. I could really see myself like walking down there with a top hat and a walking <laughs> stick, being, like really classy. Yeah, the old city is very. Uh, it stayed very authentic after all this time. We're pretty lucky to have that uh, in North America. But uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And I, I live. That's something you don't have in Toronto at all. Like obviously. You would not, you didn't feel that in Toronto? No, I mean, there's basically nothing with that classy old schooly air. It's it's a city that has become something like 50 years ago. Before that, it was not much going on there from, from what yeah. I know. Uh, you yeah, see that. You know. it's a very recent city, uh, which is something I always find odd with that city where there's nothing historical there or barely anything. I know that on the, near the Dundas Square, there's like a, 
kind of a brick wall or something. And it's like shown as this monument of like historical value of the city. It's like 70, 70 years old or something. <laughs> That's like the only thing they could find. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we have to find something to show our history. Let's find this brick wall. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, Toronto is, uh, it can be exciting for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, I, so, so now I, I think we're, um, we're at the end of our first take. Sorry to interrupt you guys there. Um, Philip, do you have, no, uh, I go with our guest first, Marcus, do you have a song for our playlist? Uh, sure. I'd have to go with one song from Dua Lipa's new album. I don't know if you... I've heard it. Yeah, it's, heard it's, it's pretty good. It's, I love it. I love every song. I recommend the whole album, <laughs> but I thought I would recommend the song Boys Will Be Boys. Mm -hmm especially because I like it. Like it's great. It's great Bob, very catchy, but it's also a great feminist anthem, I'd say. And I think this show is lacking a bit of femininity, <laughs> you know, with only, with only guys being guests and you two and always talking about wieners and stuff. <laughs> okay. But I thought like a feminist uh, song at least would do you well. Uh, okay. I, I agree. Um, Philip, what about you? I, I thought this this playlist was lacking in metal, so I thought we could add some <laughs> some flavor to it, but with not any kind of metal. Just I wanted to bring something uh, on the progressive side with the song "Language Intuition" from the band The Contortionist. Contortionist. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a very beautiful song. Uh, if you're if you're scared of metal, you should listen to that because it's soft, it's sweet, uh, but there's some good riffs on there. All right. Uh, I go with a song that I first heard. Uh, I think it was the year that Marcus and I became friends. It's by one of my favorite bands called Tenacious D and the song is called Friendship. All right. I hear you guys in a moment for the second take. If I get Corona, I get Corona. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. You know, I've been waiting. We've been waiting for Miami spring break for a while. About two months we've had this trip planned. Two, three months. So we're just out here having a good time. Whatever happens, happens. Like, it's really messing up with my spring break. What is there to do here other than go to the bars or the beach and they're closing all of it? It's really messing up. Yeah, I mean, we planned this a long time ago and it was kind of up in the air if we still go. But, like, we're here. I just turned 21 this year, so I'm here to party. So it's kind of disappointing. Morning, but we're just making the most of it. We met these other people in our little Airbnb spot, so we're just hanging out with them and trying to get drunk before everything closes. I mean, it sucks, but we're gonna make the best of it. We're enjoying ourselves. It sucks, and I'm from New Orleans, so this really sucks. However, we're gonna enjoy ourselves. We having day parties all day. It's my birthday, St. Patrick's Day. We're just trying to roll with the boy. We're just living for the moment. We're just going for, we're just going to do what happens, when it happens. When stuff closes, we're going to do it when it closes. But uh, uh, besides that, we're just trying to have the best trip we can. Yeah. Hey guys, welcome back to the second take of our um, Putin Bratwurst uh, interview episode. Actually, the second interview episode. Today is mm -hmm. the 29th of March, and we're speaking to my good friend Marcus, who knows a thing or two about um, viruses. And since we're I hope right so, now, yes. thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, since we are in the in the midst of a, a, a crisis caused by a virus, um, 
uh, we we noted down some questions and hopefully you you could clear some things up. So um, one question I, I I hear a lot uh, online and you know there are a lot of conspiracy theories and and half facts going on about this virus. So um, one thing that you hear a lot is that Corona um, viruses are actually in most colds and flus. So um, why is this one right now such a big deal? Isn't it, couldn't we just you know, you, you know, um, take some a few days off if you have it. Stay home, and that's it. Why is it such a big deal right now? Okay, I guess it's like it's always dangerous when a new virus emerges. Like this one comes from from animals. There are also um, some influenza types. They always circle within different animal reservoirs, and then they jump onto humans. And then this is always dangerous because it's a new virus, and you know there's no immunity. Because you know with regular influenza viruses or like any sort of viruses that has been evolving with us and has been circulating the world for hundreds of years, our bodies and our immune systems are used to them, at least kind of. So at least a portion of the, uh, of the population has immunity against them and can handle that quite well. But whenever you get a new virus emerging, like it's completely new to all bodies all over the world. So there's always this danger of everyone getting infected because you can tell no one's immune to it yet because no one has, no body has ever seen that virus. And so it doesn't really matter whether it's really dangerous or very contagious, just a new virus that has just jumped the species border from some animal to humans is always a threat, a new threat. Philip, do you have a question? Mine is, uh, as, as usual, a bit stupider. Um, it's, it's, it's something that it's a, it's a hot topic for us here. And I don't know if you can answer that, but the debate around face masks. Can, do, you have any, uh, do you have a take on this? Like, is it, is it valuable to wear them? Is it dangerous to wear them? Because some people say here, it's even worse if you wear them. But then if I look at my Korean friends, they say like, oh, it's the greatest thing on earth. Do you have, a, do you have like a, what's your take on, on the face masks? I think they're, they make sense, especially if you are sick yourself, like the Asian countries use it, like they wear them when, they're, when the people are sick themselves to protect others. I don't think you could go out in a face mask and be like, oh, now I'm safe, I won't be sick because people can still sneeze on you or you could, uh, you know, grab some, some handle at the bus and get the virus. But I think it's really great for limiting how much of virus particles and how much of flu you just like excrete into the world by by talking breathing and and sneezing and stuff so i think the trend that it's now becoming socially acceptable also in in western countries also in europe to wear face masks is well it makes sense and i think we're going to a lot we're going to see a lot more of that in the coming years so it's now like simon you said that a few episodes ago that someone should start a like a startup um and yeah sell cool face mask i think that's a really good idea and i, I, guess I think this pandemic is really serving as like it's breaking this this wall before people in germany like, for example you would be like looked at really weirdly if you wore face mask like what's wrong with that guy but i think after this yeah. everyone will be okay with that and everyone will be oh, okay you're feeling a bit sick yeah you're wearing a face mask well good for you good for everyone 
I, I think so too. Um, but, uh, you know, right now this is a face mask on everything and uh, basically all uh, governments are, are shutting down economic life, are um, asking people to stay at home and practice social distancing. And I was just wondering, um, it, it seems like um, um, that uh, younger people um, have have almost no symptoms. And if you, uh, if you are healthy you, in general, you might uh, be might not have that hard um, symptoms. So I was wondering, wouldn't it be a smarter strategy to um, purposefully um, infect um, young people and uh, people who who are um, considered to be safe, not to have um, strong reactions to to the virus, put these people into quarantine for two weeks and uh, and then send them back to work and send them out there because they might be immune to the virus. So wouldn't that be a better strategy in, in battling this and uh, uh, saving our economy from collapsing? What do you think? Okay, I think there are two problems with that. Like the first one is you say they would probably be immune and like from everything we know, probably they would be, but we just don't know for sure. And I think you couldn't really do that and, and get that done without having the absolute certainty that after they were infected, after they were in quarantine, then they should be fine, they're immune, they can go back to work. Because then when the virus comes back around like a few months after that and they get infected as well, then the whole like the whole action was um, for naught. And the second problem I think would be ethical. I mean, even if it makes sense, even if it's uh, economically sound, that plan, I don't think you could get away with purposefully infecting people, even though, even if they are volunteering, even if they're young and healthy, it's just something that you can't do in our society. You can't say you have to be infected to, for the, the greater good. Don't think that's, yeah. that's compatible with our sense of uh, value of human, not, not life, but like your, well, you know what I mean? Like the right that your body is unharmed. Um, but as you as you just you just sorry can I can I ask a follow up question, Philip? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, since you ju you just said that um, you know when, a few months later it, it it might come back, so that's one thing I'm thinking about a lot. You, we are all talking about flattening the curve, and uh, eventually we will um, hit the end of that curve, whether that will be in a few months or or even in a year. But um, we're not, are we going to be safe um, at the end of that first curve, or is it just then the beginning of another one, and we might have the, that whole shit uh, shit show coming back around? So, um, so is the world will the world for the next couple of years be under um, let's say corona waves where one country starts it, the other the other one catches it, and so on? Okay, I think for something like this global pandemic to happen, it has to be a new virus because, like I said. This can only happen when there's no uh, no immunity in, in like in no nation at all. And for this to happen, the virus had to mutate to become like sufficiently new that the immune system doesn't recognize it anymore. And I've heard some experts say that this is unlikely because this coronavirus actually has a good uh, DNA proofreading system. So the thing mm -hmm. the virus has, with viruses is that they mutate a lot and very quickly, like insanely quickly if we did that if our cells were mutating like, like that we'd have like cancer all over our body because it's just most of the mutations are just not good and viruses do that a lot for example hiv does that very much very uh very um often 
And this coronavirus apparently doesn't do it as much because it's actually proofreading its DNA when it's replicated and it tries to have the DNA replicated faithfully and always stay the same. So it kind of uh, deletes mutations. So, so that, that, that means we can adapt more easily to, uh, to that virus. Well, it doesn't really affect how we adapt to it, but the virus can't adapt to us as strongly or as, as quickly as other viruses do. And I think the other point is that if we flatten the curve and if we have, let's say, um, another wave like next year, same time next year, then we are a lot farther with the science and with understanding the virus, with maybe having a few like trials of vaccinations and maybe also have yeah. a, um, like some medication because this is also the problem right mm -hmm. now. And I mean, if some people in a, in a home, like old people get it, then you can't really do anything and they just die and you can't really help them. And of course there are efforts now all over the world to try like um, existing medication or even try something new, find something new to treat this virus. And I think in a year we will be a lot farther in that regard. So it's still, okay. still better to flatten the curve mm. and maybe have a wave recurring at a later date when we are better prepared. So regarding regarding cure cure and everything, my next question is uh, a bit of a spicy one, and um, and if if you don't if you don't think you can answer it, that's all good. But we see how China got all good very fast, right? And um, not very fast, but now they sound that like they're good. But this, not later than yesterday, I saw news saying that actually 20% of their cases were not actually cured, and that people are still sick. Do you believe in these numbers? Do you, th do you think they are realistic? Or do you think it's uh, we're, we're missing some information here? Because when we look at what's happening in Italy and the US, it's hard to believe that such a populous country as China could just mm. get better so fast, yeah. right? You think it's the good they had the right measures, or we just don't know the whole thing? Yeah, like no one knows the whole thing because they're not really testing anymore, are they? I mean, I'm not really not an expert on that either, and don't really know how the situation in China is right now. But I guess the like the government there, like she wants to put out that image that they've overcome it, they've done it, they're this epidemic right. is over for them, and I guess they're not really right. testing anymore, and they just try to. Uh, yeah, keep the cases down, and of course there are still people infected, I guess, and there are still new infections, but they just, yeah, they're not really um, broadcasting that into the world, I guess, anymore. So you're not buying it too much, not really. And I also think they're like making mm. a mistake by reopening everything right now. I mean, reopening Wuhan and just trying to get back to life like as before. I don't think they should do that yet. Interesting. Do you um so what you hear a lot um I don't know how much is this this affects Germany but it affects surely affects other countries they are talking about bringing down the regulations on on testing a vaccine to you know to just make it faster um because normally this takes a lot of testing and different testing routes um so for you as someone who works in that area or who, or who will work in that area um Do you do you think it's a good thing that they're break that they're thinking about or even breaking down these barriers um, of these safety barriers uh, basically um, to implement a vaccine or do you think um, that's that's dangerous? So, so what's your uh, professional take on that? I don't really know. I mean, the phase one trials that are the 
like the first in human trials of any new medication, and I guess it's the same for vaccines. Uh, it's just that you take normal, healthy people and you give them the medication or inject them with the vaccine. And then you're just looking for safety. So you're just looking at, are these people still healthy? Are there any complications? Is, there, is it toxic maybe? Is it toxic for the kidneys, for the liver or stuff? And it's not, it's not looked at whether it's effective at all at that stage. And this is looked at um, at later stages, so stage two and three of clinical trials. And I guess they could combine this into like one, just start with a bigger cohort of people. But like I said, then you have the, the risk of it being toxic and you, do, you don't really know because before you've never tried it in humans, before you just tried it in on cells, like in your um, plate, just, just uh, cell culture, or maybe yeah. mice or rats, but mice or rats, they're vastly different from a human organism, obviously, and you can't really predict how it's going to be, whether it's going to be safe. So I guess with the pandemic going on right now and all the economic pressure, how it's being done right now is probably the fastest way it can be done. Okay. So there's certainly no stage at which people are just sitting around or there's completely unnecessary uh, steps in between. I wouldn't say that. Okay. Philip? Philip, are you still there? Um, yeah. Yeah, yes, yes, I, I am still there. I'm looking at my questions. And I, I, I think uh, they're either stupid or we answered them already. Do you have another one? I, I would have another one um, um, regarding the vaccine. Um, many people placing their hopes on that vaccine being made, even though they're at this point, there might be one in, in a year and a half, maybe in two years. It's, that's not really sure. Um, so do we even have to wait for a vaccine or would a, a medication that lowers symptoms be already enough to, to make this not as big a, a threat um, to the people as a whole as it is right now? Hmm. I actually, I think I personally am not really hoping for a vaccine or I don't really, I'm not expecting a, a perfect vaccine to just emerge over the next few months. Because if you look at HIV, like I said, it, that mutates a lot and it's, it's a bit more complicated, I guess, but that has been known since the 80s and people, scientists all over the world and really a lot of scientists have tried working or are working on vaccines against HIV like today. I, I know the, the biggest group at our institute, like actually the group of the, like the head of the institute, they are all working on HIV and most of them on HIV vaccines. And they've been doing that for decades, I guess, and other people have as well. And they're still then, well, maybe closer to a vaccine than 30 years ago, but not much. So it's really tricky to, um, to develop vaccines against viruses. So I'm actually thinking it's a lot more likely that some medication that we already have, some of the very limited number of antivirals we have might be effective against this virus as well and that it gets approved mm -hmm. and this can also happen in just a few weeks or months so this is something that is realistic to expect to happen in maybe two or three months and this could already help a lot so that that means if if that if that were to happen um we it could be that in in three months they find out okay this this uh medication lowers it enough that the whole the whole thing is gonna blow over. I mean, obviously, you need the, the money to to give it to other nations as well. But if that happens, uh, coronavirus would be 
no more of an issue and something we, we might laugh about in hindsight? Mm, no, certainly not that. Like even the, like I said, there's only a limited number of antivirals and they're also, I mean, they're effective, but I think none of them is like 100% kills every uh, viral particle you have in your body and you're just completely cured with like one pill. That's just, that's utopic, that doesn't happen. But I think it would just help. It would just help like stabilizing people, maybe carrying them over until one of these um, machines to, to help them breathe is available because someone else got like cured or died. So no, I'm pretty yeah. sure that even if they found a medication, even if it's really a good one, it would like improve the situation uh, tremendously, obviously, but I don't think it would just stop the pandemic or make it a laughing matter, not at all. Do you think, uh, and again, I don't know if you can answer this, but do you think the World Health Organization uh, answered properly to this crisis? And something I read often, like, and that I find myself to, maybe their answer was too slow before they called the pandemic. As someone who followed it and knows about the field, do you think their answer was appropriate and uh, proportionate to the actual uh, concerns the virus would have for the world? I'm afraid I really can't answer that. Like I, I'm not into that field at all. And I think all your, all the numbers we get or all the predictions and how dangerous it is and whether it's not, uh, are come from the WHO. So it's like, mm -hmm. how can you judge them when all your information comes from them? So I don't know. Right. But as I meant, like, well, when it started, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, it's, it's bad, but it's not a pandemic yet. And now the countries started answering. Maybe maybe countries could have answered earlier, right, if they were told earlier by the WHO that this was serious. Uh, I mean, from, from my office laughing about it to us being quarantined and, and, and stressed about it, there's like five mm -hmm. days in between, you know. So, so I don't know if, if you know, if, if they could have... It's, it's something we should learn for the future, maybe. I don't know if you had an opinion on that, but it's okay if you don't. Maybe they could have done better. That's true. I mean, maybe they could have just uh, be quicker about it. And yeah, I declared it a pandemic a few days earlier. But I think actually the media and your local politicians and heads of state have a lot more influence on how the, the people in their country, country view it. So of course, the, the World Health Organization, they're mm -hmm. the experts and everyone listens to them, but I still think people like Trump, they have a lot more power in that regard of how people view the disease and whether they're um, ready with, okay with staying at home and stuff. And how do you think the media answered? Do you think they answered, uh, do you think they behaved uh, in the, the right way or do you think maybe they, they contributed to in, in the wrong way to the to this whole crisis? I guess, like if you look at all the media in all the countries over the world, I guess it was appropriate. I mean, they, they most of them didn't like totally write it off as something to laugh at or as something that's exaggerated. I guess some of them did in the, in the beginning and that was wrong, obviously, as they also um, realized. But I guess on the whole, it was okay. It really depends mm. on which media you consume and which are your sources, obviously. Right. All right. Um, so I'm, I'm out of questions on this uh, ma uh, matter. I would uh, switch to our next um, take. What do you think, Philip? Any more more questions you want to know? No, really no, no. Cool. All good. This really all right, is um, an interview episode. I thought we would be like more talking to each other. But it's really like you have a lot of questions. 
but I mean, it's good. I'm happy yeah, if well, I quit. You know, <laughs> you know, we since since we have um, since we have a guest here who who knows uh, much more about this 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 uh, issue than we do. We figured we we really wanted to to interview, but the ne the next take um, it's gonna be lighter. I promise. Um, do you have another song for the oh, list? Yes, I actually have one that I've been listening to a lot just because of the virus. And it's a Come On Eileen by the Dexys Midnight Runners. So I don't know mm -hmm. if people know it, but I just read online that you can perfectly sing COVID-19 to Come On Eileen. And I've been doing that for weeks <laughs> now. And it's just a, it's really stuck in your head and you keep catching yourself singing COVID-19 all the time. <laughs> Okay, I also have a uh, have a virus um, related song. It's by Bad Religion. It's called Infected. How about you, Philip? Well, again, my song is all about cheering up our listeners, and I'm proposing the song that um, uh, my favorite song of 2019, which is called Tenderness by uh, Jay Som, a great, great musician uh, from the U.S. That is, I hope we'll have a wonderful career. But yeah, absolutely unrelated to COVID or any form of sickness except love. Nice. Very good. Okay, here you guys are the next task. <coughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit, bro. He's joking. <coughs> you all right, Raj? Yeah. Gets to where he can't breathe, doesn't it? Yeah, his ear gets cut off. <laughs> Does it really? Is, it, is that how it happens? It feels like you can't breathe? <laughs> <laughs> Make me want to cough. <laughs> Get it out. Get hard. Get <laughs> a cigar. Yeah. <laughs> You all right, bro? Yeah. That happens quite a bit. Uh-huh, because of my father's teeth. <laughs> Take them fuckers out. Take uh, them out. No, that's okay. Put them in your pocket if they're causing you to choke. They gagging you? No, sometimes they do. Take them bastards out if they're gagging you. Get that damn Pepsi come up on your shirt. Yeah. Spit up, didn't I? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone waiting, you, whose turn is it now to speak? Yeah. I, I'm the guest. I'm the guest. I'm not the one who started. Yeah, the, yeah. No, I was <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, Philip, do you want to wanna tell, uh, um, welcome back our listeners? <laughs> I can welcome them. All right. Welcome um, back <laughs> to Putin Bradvers, the long distance podcast with us today, Marcus, that we questioned a lot already. Yeah, so we, we're going to give him a break now. <laughs> okay, Do you have I'm questions for us? I'm actually fine. It's, it's cool to have people actually interested in my, my bit, work. It's the topic of the moment. I feel like your, your field is the one that is the most yeah. interesting for everyone on earth right now. Yeah. You can now That's, add your podcast to the illustrious number of shows who have just invited some kind of virologist just to have a virologist on. 
It's, yes, yes some, it's sometimes. Actually, true. I, I feel like, um, like the you know, we've known each other for so long, and I always felt that what you do is I'm always I've always been impressed by it and, and respected it a lot, but I never really understood what you're doing. Like it was always you do now. It was always overwhelming me, and it, I mean, obviously, it still is. But right now, it's it's really I th I feel like. It is, it is something that um, everyone is is more interested in and more willing to wrap their minds around, even though most people aren't able to, um, to what, uh, what what you're actually doing than before I mean, that. I mean, no one's interested in cytomegalovirus. We've established that. Like even fewer people now, I guess, are interested in that. Yeah, you you kind of yes, you you're kind of on the wrong track with that one right now. I mean, if if you did your doctor's thesis on on a coronavirus. You'd probably already be on, on some television shows. Yes. I mean, people are actually turning to that in our institute. I think no one has worked on coronaviruses before because, like we said, they are, I mean, they've been circulating, but they've never been a huge deal, never been a huge threat to humans. But I think almost all groups in our institute are now turning to that in some kind or other. Like some people are developing essays with antibodies to not for a test not for testing people but for <laughs> testing possible vaccine candidates and stuff and someone else is just doing research about what proteins could be targeted with vaccines and stuff so a lot of people are turning to that now and i think that's the same all over the world like in all virology institutes all over the world it's funny it reminds me how i had a uh, international relations teacher uh, my field is international relations and then my, one of my teachers an undergrad uh, published his phd on uh, islamic extremism a few months before 911 <laughs> uh, oh, was, was he on some shows or podcasts? i mean he, he, uh, no I, mean, I don't know if he if he if he became i mean he became famous in the scholarly world for sure his research became extremely relevant um from a few months being like whatever to like the topic of the moment so yeah it's crazy how that's how how like public opinion are influenced by something like that yes yeah, yeah. i mean major events yeah it just uh it builds the collective uh yeah. uh yeah actually we have a like a like a funny chart uh hanging in our laboratory with which has been there site uh, since i've started being there so for years and it's just a like a line with the title um a chart of how worried you should be depending on which specialists you see on the news and like on the far <laughs> left there are i don't know botanists or people working with whales and stuff and then you have like um researches into uh, atomic powers on the quite on the right and then virologists are i think almost the the far right only oh, like, people people interested in in vulcans volcanoes are I think the the forest, right? <laughs> that has become very relevant recently. Yes, that's a fun chart. I need that in my apartment. We actually have a lot of like fun sciencey charts hanging around in our lab. Do you think that um, among um, people uh, working in that institute, um, do you think people take it with a little more humor than the general public? I guess we do. Probably because viruses to us are not that this, con this this construct that we don't know and understand and this unseen enemy. We're just used to it. I'm like I'm working with some strain of cytomegalovirus like every week. I'm infecting cells with that, and I know I could also infect myself. But like I said, 
it's not a dangerous virus. So even if I did, it wouldn't matter really. But I mean, there are people working with HIV and they're really working with the viral particles as well. So we know what a virus is and we know how it spreads and all that. So I guess, yes, we can, we have more cause to love about it than others. Mm, I see. How is um, for for your daily daily life? Um, I mean, obviously, you you also have to self quarantine uh, as much as you can and, and distance yourself. So um, a few weeks back, we spoke about um, some tips that we had for our listeners on how to you know get over with time. Do you have any uh, anything that you would recommend, like books, movies, games, whatever? Well, I would just recommend uh, like reading books. Just in general, obviously, because people aren't doing that uh, that much. But I, actually, I do, because I'm reading a very interesting book right now. I'm almost finished with it. It's called it's called Living with the Gods by Neil McGregor. So it's a like it's a nonfiction book about religion or all sorts of cults and and yeah, religion-like things. And it encompasses all of humanity basically. So it tries to tell something about all the major religions and it's doing that by always focusing on one or two objects. So there's a lot of pictures in that because I usually get my books on Audible and listen to them because I think it's such it's so much more efficient. I just like doing that. But I saw that there's a picture in that book almost every second page. So I thought, well, I have to buy that and actually read it. And it's really great because it always starts with like some Chinese painting of ancestors or something carved out of a mammoth tooth that people probably used in some cult or like traditional ceremony. And then it explains a lot about that and also goes between religions. It's it's really great book for anyone who's interested in wow. like, that sort of stuff. That sounds fascinating, really. Yes, it's written by the the guy was, I think he isn't anymore, but he was the one of the creators of the British Museum. So all of these artifacts are actually in the British Museum in mm -hmm. London. Wow. I, That's cool. I, I find it really interesting that um, now more and more people are listening to the scientists as they should. And uh, and I, I really hope that it, um, it kind of silences in the long haul um, Those people who who think who debate about science being just yeah. another opinion, but I also heard um, that right now um, the um, religion is also kind of uh, and the church is having a comeback as well, being you know being there for people in uh, in a psychological uh, term and just giving stability to people. Yes, I mean that always happens in in, in crises, in times yep. of hardships. People always go back to their religion. Yes. I just have a I have a hard time with people saying it's a trial and and stuff like that. One of my friends is is a good friend of mine works with uh, some pretty religious folks, and they're like, "Oh, this is like a trial um, from God, and like uh, this is yeah. a test. And only the believers will be the ones." Uh, and it's like, well, if my grandmother dies at at, at eighty nine and she goes to church every Sunday, like I don't think it's a it's a very uh, nice thing to say. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Where have these where have these people been living? Like there's so much bad happening to everyone in the world and also to religious people, and they still think this one thing that just comes around, oh, that's the, the trial by God. Like everything else is just yeah. people being bad, but this is uh, the trial. As soon as think, it, as soon as it affects yourself, <laughs> it suddenly becomes a trial by God. But if it if, if it affects other people, you don't give a shit. Now also there are two cases <laughs> in the Vatican. Have you read about that? 
Uh, what exactly? I, I saw there was a, there was a, there was cases, but I didn't know how many. Yes, I think I've read it on Friday that there are at least two uh, people tested positive for coronavirus in the Vatican, and I mean they have like only old people in there. So I'm not saying I hope that it spreads, but maybe it does. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> I mean, just imagine, just imagine the Pope dying of coronavirus right now. Yeah, it would be. Well. Something. Well, I don't. I don't. I don't know if. I just. Um. I. I. I heard uh, someone. I'm not gonna say who. Um. Uh, said that this is a trial for um, Christians all around the world, and uh, mm -hmm. the virus is there to eradicate uh, Christianity. And all we can do as Christians. Well, I'm not a Christian, but um, all Christians can do is um, they can pray and listen to like I, I think the pope is like every friday he's he's having a prayer which you can listen to so all christians should listen to that because that's the only way they can prevent christianity from uh dying um off of this virus okay. i've heard it blamed on the gays again like i've heard it blamed by christians on gays and also transsexuals because what That was that was not a, like transgender people. That was not a thing in the 80s. So there it was only the gays. Like HIV was the curse of God for the gays, and now apparently it's for gays and transgender people. I mean, so, some 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 priests, not priests, but, but pastors, whatever, in the US said the hurricanes, uh, uh, the tornadoes were because of gay marriage. So you know, yeah, I, I, I feel I like I, I'm not surprised by these stupidities anymore. Like <laughs> we've heard yeah, of it. It was But only it, a question of time until someone came up with that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but but doesn't it like this? Uh, well, what is the reason? Like, how? I mean, if that virus was, if if like there was the first person who got the virus was like, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't even know. Like, if it were a virus coming from homosexuals or maybe a transvestite a Chinese person um, ate a bat or something, then I could kind of understand their yeah. vague logic that was, the case. that was the case for hiv it made a lot more sense for hiv because like in the beginning mostly gay men had it yeah you could say god already tried that he already sent a virus to eradicate the gays and it didn't really work so now he's i don't know maybe this is his second trial i remember in in, in uh in my what i said earlier the sejap years I, i i had a class on hiv and we they told us the story how it it, it came From from a monkey probably in Congo all the way to the Californian gay community and all the whole trip it had and it was pretty interesting. It's a uh, yeah. I don't know if you heard about that theory. You know that the hunter and then the AT teachers and then the the the, the sickness of a sleeping sickness and all the the trip it had from from there to the to California. I don't know if you heard about this story. No, I didn't. I'm never really good. I mean, do you want do you want me to tell it? <laughs> I mean, I should, I guess, right? I'd be interested in that. So uh, it's, it's just like they were trying to explain how it ended up there. From from what they were saying, uh, it's probably a hunter who like uh, probably killed a monkey or something for food, and they had like he had like a injuries on his hand or something and he got infected and it was at the beginning of the 1900s and at the same time in central africa there was a if i translate from french it's like the sleeping sickness uh it was some i don't know it's an old disease that i guess doesn't really exist anymore and like the red cross would go or some international organization would go and vaccine people but they would use the same syringe for 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 like hundreds of people 
so so it just spread it all over that place and uh since it takes like what 20 years in between you getting it and you getting actual aids uh they, they didn't know right but at the same time there was teachers from at who were going to do um um uh, volunteering in congo for teaching and some of them probably had uh, sexual intercourses with uh with locals and they came back to at and gave it to other people and from what my teacher was saying at was a hot spot for uh prostitution in the 50s or 60s for the for people in the us mostly people that were homosexual but like couldn't come out so they had to like go to like other countries to to like express their sexualities and they came back and brought it into the community in the us that's a very very fast track story from what I remember from my class almost 10 years ago, but yeah. That's interesting. I never really knew it in that detail. Me neither. I, I never heard of it. Well, maybe your listeners should uh, double check that, but that's uh, so what I yeah. was teaching 10 years ago. Well, well um, is it, um, uh, that, that, that brought a question to me. Um, is the coronavirus, uh, can you get it from, uh, from intercourse? Or is it only kissing and spitting and that kind of stuff? Yes, I mean, since it's replicating in the in and also the the pharynx, I guess the sexual intercourse itself wouldn't transmit it. Oh. But like in the act of doing that, you would also kiss and then breathe. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to. You can wear a gas mask. I think if you, I mean, don't take my word on that, but I guess. That would be probably okay. Probably <laughs> because sure. I mean, it's the lungs, right? It's a sickness. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, if you're really, if you're really, um, if your whole body is really infected, if you have viremia, like virus in your blood, where it can be also detected and stuff, uh, then I guess you can get infected by that person by like any sort of uh, fluid or contact. Mm -hmm. So if you if if you exchange blood with someone who's really really infected, I guess you could also get it. So, it, but it um, then it doesn't really make sense that people are, um, are now also panic buying condoms in many places. At least in or in, in a, um, at least if they do it in order to protect themselves against the virus. I mean, I've just heard this week uh, at the work that someone said because uh, gloves are like sold out everywhere. People are buying <laughs> condoms to actually use on their fingers and then oh. like, press an <laughs> elevator button, for example, and just use a condom for that. So maybe wow. that's why they're so bad. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All full of lube everywhere. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a guy yesterday on the bus. He, he, was have, he had a face mask on and, and, and like ski gloves on, mm -hmm. on, his, on his face. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. Like I, I do also, as we said, I hope people are, are more likely to use masks afterwards because it's just... It's just better for everybody and even to just catch a cold. But I don't really Please think it's... Go on the bus with a condom on each hand, like on the entire hand. <laughs> <laughs> and, one, and one over your head. I remember when... Oh, when yeah. I remember when we were in, in, um, in elementary school, uh, a friend of mine and I, we... We bought condoms and we did. We didn't really know what to do with them. We just knew it was something naughty. So we you we took them in elementary school. In elementary like in school, in a normal store. We went to well. We went oh, to the wow. store and we spent like I think we spent <coughs> half an hour or even longer in there. We had it in our hands. And we're like, you, you do it. No, no, no. You do it. 
You do it. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, I would never have dared. No, like, when I first bought condoms, I was incredibly, uh, I think it was, I was like 17 or 18 and I was so excited and, and nervous about it. No, I'm we, still shy about buying some today. I'm still shy about it. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. We got the weirdest stairs because we're like really we're two two boys in like <laughs> in third grade with super red head and we were like in that store for so long and and it was summer and I remember it vividly and um like I, I she must have the the lady in behind the cash register was probably been like okay this guy's trying to steal something or stuff and uh, and I think we bought some some jelly beans or something with it and we bought the um the the condoms yeah well, yeah exactly we bought the, a pack of condoms feeling like wow now we're a step further um, of and into being adults and we we drove out to <laughs> to as as you said we I also come from a very rural town and we we rode our bikes out to the fields and, and there we opened the condoms and feel like well this is really interesting what we're going to do with it and we ended up um, putting them over our heads and blowing them up. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, the poor, and the poor lady in the store was probably stuck for the whole day with imagining you two like boys having gay orgies with it. <laughs> we're just buying him for a grandpa <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we we did that and we we felt like we're we're so badass doing that and i i think i think i still have that flip phone back somewhere at my parents place and if and and on there I have the picture of one of the friends, Marcus. You know the guy, by the way, um, of one of these uh, of friends and uh, and uh, of him having the condom blow, blowing up on, <laughs> on his head. <laughs> he looked like a lantern. <laughs> I actually, I actually bought my first condom in Scotland, and they had these self checkout, um, like like. Uh, yeah, self checkout in the in the store, and I was so glad that they did, and I used that. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't think I would have dared. So wow. weird. That's yeah. It's it's it is it is actually pretty weird, but it should not be because it it it's it's yeah, showing it's that you're crazy. actually like uh, somebody who cares about your sexual health. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still awkward to buy it to this day. To me, it's still uh, I don't like it. I said somewhere like if you if you're too embarrassed to to buy condoms, you're not grown enough to have sex, and I think that's true. Right, you're not responsible enough. Yeah, yeah that makes true. sense. That's yeah. true. You can't handle that pressure, and you shouldn't be having sex. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. All right, um, I think we're at the end of this uh, this episode. Um, uh, I have a um, before we come to our last words, um, Marcus. Do you have a third song for us? Well, yes, I do. I actually have one that is more along like Leap's line of uh, reasoning of cheering people up mm-hmm. in these dark times. And it's called Open Your Heart, which is also something very important to do right now, by the Human League. So it's like uh, 80s synth pop, very upbeat. I like it. It's a very feel-good song. Nice. Um, I have... um... I have a, a song that has a feeling that I um, that describes the feeling I'm I'm I feel a lot right now. It's it's by Kanye West and it's called Lost in the World. And for my recommendation, I, I feel the duty to promote local artists, and it's one of my favorite songs. It's a group that became famous during tra- doing traditional Quebec music in China. Um, and now they're back and they're still making drinking music. They're called Quebec Redneck Bluegrass Project. And their song is called Pantera Arctic Cat Triple 800. It's a love song about a, uh, a snowmobile. 
Great nice. music. About a snowmobile. Nice. <laughs> yes. I was, I was about to ask what is traditional Quebec music, but a love song about a snowmobile. Yeah, that sounds like Canadian. <laughs> it's a very funny uh, and jolly uh, song that uh, will make you smile, I'm pretty sure. And before we, we, we finish, something we didn't do last time. If you have comments or questions or oh, suggestions yeah. for our podcast, please, please reach out to us at poutinebradwurst at gmail.com. That's where you can reach us the easiest. Otherwise, you can also leave us voice messages through the Anchor app. And uh, the link to do that will be in the description. All right. Um, so, Marcus, um, thank you very, very much for taking your time answering some of our stupid questions and um, they weren't stupid at all they weren't stupid thanks for having me and a lot of fun yeah it was a pleasure I, to, uh, I, to meet you virtually and hopefully maybe our path will cross one day oh yes i do too i hope so too um next time we um next time philip you're going to be in germany i'm going to make sure we all get a get a drink together awesome oh, yeah, in Hamburg, probably. okay um take care and hear you guys next week yeah stay safe au revoir